word for salvation is moksha. Another word is nirvana. So what is moksha? If you look at Brahmi Lipi, the script of Brahmi, the original script of Sanskrit language, or even if you look at Devanagari Lipi, it starts with a, and ends with ksha. Just before ksha is the letter her. Me, I exist, and mo, attachment. Ksha means nash, perish, finish, over, no more. When your mo is no more, that is moksha. If you cannot be detached while living, I really don't think you'll have any moksha once you drop this body. If you cannot be a Jeevan Mukta, if you cannot attain liberation while living, you really cannot hope for liberation after you're no more in this world. Because that is somebody else's word that after death this happens or that happens. It is possible to look into your previous lifetimes. All the ones that I could look into, I saw no heaven, no hell. But that is my truth and that is my experience. It could even be wrong. But I saw no heaven, no hell. Your body is here, who's frying you up there in hell? You know. And what does the word nirvana mean? It means extinguished. When you are extinguished, that's nirvana. When your desires are extinguished. So what is meditation? There were two women once upon a time. And one of them had a son who was 25 years old. So they met in a shopping mall and she asked, how are you doing? And the other said, pretty good. They exchanged pleasantries and she said, oh, how's your son now? She goes, oh yeah, he's pretty good. Is he employed yet? She asks. She goes, no, he's still unemployed, but he does meditation these days. And she goes, what's meditation? And the woman says, I don't know, but I guess it's better than sitting around and doing nothing. <laughs> you know? But that is precisely what meditation is. You have been so trained to do things all your life that even when you are sleeping, you are dreaming. Only if you could do nothing. You are all here to know how to do nothing. Would that not be right? You're all here to know how to do nothing, how to sit and do nothing, how to be nothing, how to say nothing, and how, your, how to have your mind 
do all these things, that is, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. But I want to make one thing clear. Meditation is not an act. It is not a process. It is a uh, phenomenon. It is a state of being. For as long as you are trying to meditate, you are not meditating. The goal is to get to that state when you are not meditating. There was this great saint, Buddhist saint, Indian scholar, called Tilopa. And I've got a couple of passages from Tilopa and another scholar called Sarah. He was also a Buddhist scholar. I'd like to read them out to you because they sum up real nice the essence of meditation. So this is what Tilopa is saying. The dedicated practitioner, and pay real close attention to this, because it very beautifully tells you the stages of meditation you will ever come across. The dedicated practitioner, it's called the Song of Mahamudra, by the way, experiences the spiritual way as a turbulent mountain stream tumbling dangerously among boulders. When maturity is reached, the river flows smoothly and patiently. With the powerful sweep of the Ganges, emptying into the ocean of Mahamudra, the water becomes ever-expanding light that pours into great clear light without direction, destination, division, distinction or description. In the beginning when you start to meditate, you are like a rush of waterfall, a stream of water that's going down, hitting the boulders and hitting the stones and passing through the sand. There is too much agitation in the mind. Exactly the opposite of what you thought would happen in meditation actually happens. Exactly the opposite. You would be much better off sleeping, because at least you relax to some degree, you are not dreaming whole night. But when you are meditating, these thoughts, they just don't leave you at all not even for a fraction of a second. <coughs> and just when you think you are thoughtless, this is the thought you get, oh, I am thoughtless now. <laughs> so like running water, there is always something that is holding you from the sides. There is no free flow, so to speak. And this is the number one hurdle in meditation. But this is the initial stage. But if you are doing it wrong, which brings me to second word of caution, you see the biggest pitfall or peril of meditation, if you get used to meditating incorrectly, it may take you years and I'm being optimistic here, to correct those flaws. It may take you years. So it is very important to do it right. 
and I don't want you to focus on the quantity of meditation. Don't worry about doing it for an hour or two hours or three hours, you know, get to that stage slowly, gradually, steadily. It happens gradually. There is no shortcut. And you are not doing meditation to please some God. This should be very clear. You are meditating so that from a rushing, a gushing forth stream of water, you turn into smooth, the flowing Ganges. There are no tides. There are no dips. You just maintain that evenness. Yoyam yoga stoya prokten sammen madhusudana. Tasya hamna prapashyami chanchalatvata sthiti sthiram. Arjuna says to Krishna, this yoga of this meditation we are talking about, of being even, I really don't see how it's possible. I really don't see how it's practical. Because mind is very unstable. They say mind and mercury, they always move. So mind is very unstable. Chanchalam hi manha krishna pramathi balvadradam tasyaham nigraham manne vayurev sudushkara This mind, it's very, it's childlike. To tie my mind down, it's like you're asking me, you know, shoot some arrows and, and create a vacuum. I cannot do this. Shri Bhagavan Vacha, Krishna says, Asanshyam Mahabhav. No doubts. O warrior, Mano Durnigraham Chalam. It's always moving, it's very hard to control your mind. Abhyasen to Kantai, Viragain Jagrihate. But with Abhyas, practice, and Viragya, dispassion, you can't do it. And this has also been my personal experience, by the way. There is nothing you cannot do with practice. And nothing is what you have to do. <laughs> so, if you are not contemplating on your current life, if you're really having a ball out there, if you're really having fun, then it'll be very hard to have a sense of detachment. If you're too busy running, you don't have the time to look around and see, you know, what is actually going on. You're like a horse, you know, you just put the flaps on and you're just running. Meditation gives you that stop. It gives you that pause to reflect. The other thing that happens in meditation, the energies in your body, by that I mean the five main values, prana, pan, saman, udan, vayan. Prana is the life force. Saman vayu is responsible for your throat for production of speech. Sorry, that is Udan Vayu here. And Saman is in your stomach. It turns the food, churns the food, and acts as the bridging Vayu of Kundalini awakening. And upon Vayu is for all the excrements, defecation, its movement is downward. And Vayan Vayu is the one that takes nutrients all the way to your, throughout your body. 
Now, what I'm going to tell you now, you may never find it in any book. When you meditate correctly, when you maintain your concentration, all the five values, energies, effusive, diffusive, and the rest, descending, ascending, they start to still themselves. When your energies become still, your thoughts become feeble. Your thoughts can bother you no more. Your goal in meditation or that meditative state is going from thoughts to thought. You know what I'm saying? Going from thoughts to thought. If you want to experience the divine grace that it has no form, then your goal is going from thoughts to no thought. But if you want manifestation of the form, then you have to do going from thoughts to thought. When you can hold on to a thought for as long as you want, without being interrupted by other thoughts, that is meditation. Now that thought could be the thought of God or anything else. It's like being in love. Initial stages, before you get married. <laughs> it's almost like that. You're able to hold on to the thought effortlessly. And that is the next stage of meditation. It just comes then, it's effortless. And that is why we compared it with the rivers flowing. Lighter than water is light. And then you experience this inner light. When you experience that inner light, you become a light yourself. You can then light up other people. They're all candles ready to be lit. Tesham satyuktanam bhachatam priti purakam those who worship me with utmost devotion, purest devotion, I give them light, Krishna says. I give them buddhi, they start to know right from wrong. And what is the outcome of that? I firmly situate myself in their very existence and become lamp of knowledge. You may think you don't need the lamp. It's the others. But you'll be surprised. There was a blind man once, a disciple of Gautam Buddha. It was evening, the sun had already set, and he had to go home. And Gautam Buddha said to him, you know, it's night, so please take a lamp with you. And he chuckled, he said, oh, venerable one, but I'm blind. For me, day and night is the same. He said, yes, but others are not. So, take this lamp, <coughs> and he takes the lamp, and he's walking, and accidentally, he runs into another man from the opposite direction, because the wick of his lamp had gone off. He was without light, but to him, it was all the same. 
So he didn't even realize my lamp was no longer lit. The other man ran into him and said, man, what are you, blind? He said, well, exactly, I'm blind, actually. That's okay. He said, exactly, I'm, I'm blind. When you hold light, it is not just for you alone. If he had light at that time, somebody else would not have come in and, and hit him or run into him or get, you know, clashed with him. If you become real fire, what is everybody else's existence around you then? Not much at all. You'll melt them. And that is the key. Meditation is staying with that light, knowing that you're lit. So you become real fire. So there are four primary hurdles in meditation. No matter at which stage you are on the path, there are four key hurdles. First is thoughts. You have these thoughts you don't want. Because you have lost mindfulness. When you stay on course, when you stay focused on your desired thought of meditation, all the other thoughts will keep coming and keep hitting you. But it's almost like driving in a car just after rain through a, a foresty type area where all these insects are constantly hitting your windscreen. You just have to push a button wiper, you know, the washer liquids come out, cleanses. But if you're not mindful, if you're not seeing, you won't be mindful. If you are doing your job correctly, if you are driving your car properly, if you are watching the road, if you are watching the, the traffic, you will also notice what is on the windscreen. But if you are sleeping, and God forbid you have passengers in the car who may be praying at that time, <laughs> then you won't even notice. So with practice, you start to notice your thoughts. But as you progress, you go from, in the same session I'm talking about, you're, let's say, sitting down to meditate, you've just, you've just become super aware of your thoughts. Your mind will feel agitated. You'll feel pains and aches, you'll say, oh, let's move, let's, I'll do it tomorrow, it's okay, you know. And you'll justify, I've got things to do, I've got food to cook or I've got work to do, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, your brain will, will find justifications of why you should not meditate. Why? Because I always say, think of mind as a toddler. Think of mind as a little child. It is just simply not possible forever to say to a child, sit here and don't move. You know? It's not possible. He or she may listen to you for 10 minutes, 15, 20, depending on the, the reward you're offering and their desire to have that reward. And that is the other point you need to remember. Because you are not meditating correctly most of the time, you're not getting the reward, your mind has no desire to meditate. Your mind thinks it's a drag. I could be watching movie, I could be going out having fun. Why do I have to meditate? Your mind is not getting the benefit. And it won't get the benefit if you're not meditating correctly. It's like solving that, you know, puzzle. You have 50 pieces or just even 10 pieces. 
you have to put them correctly to see the full picture. No matter how brilliant you may be or how dumb, if you're not assembling it correct, you won't see the full picture. And when you calm down your mind, and you're meditating, you've calmed down your mind, then you get to the third stage. In the third stage, you experience a sort of stupor, a sort of sleepiness. You may not actually sleep, but you lose the clarity of your meditation. If you've lost the clarity of your meditation, you may as well actually fall asleep, it's much better. Why do you want to sleep sitting up, you know? <laughs> and when you cross that, you come across something what I call images. You see, the first was thoughts. And yesterday I gave an example. If you think of a banana, from banana you may think of fruit shop, from fruit shop to some experience there, to your ATM card, to bank accounts, to salaries, to economy, to recession, to stock markets, to all those things. And before you know, you're thinking, I should go and make some money and, you know, and not just sit here. The guy who was teaching was a renunciate, but I am not, I have to earn my bread. <laughs> but when you cross that, your mind is agitated, now it's restless. It's like the kid in the car saying, are we home yet, are we home yet, are we home yet, you know? Your mind is saying, where is this thing going to end? I'm looking at the clock, looking at the watch, it's on. still 10 minutes to go, 5 minutes to go, 4 minutes to go. And then you start to feel sleepy. When you cross that, now you're very very sharp and aware. That is what's called super-consciousness. You're, you're super-conscious. Now, before even a thought comes, you see, oh, there's a thought coming, like a flying bird. You let it go. You're maintaining awareness. You're holding on to your visualization, internal or, or breath or whatever maybe you, it is that you are meditating on. And then comes the fourth, images. A banana came you'll discard it. An apple will come, an orange will come, a guitar will come, a sitar will come, a mirdang will come. You just don't know from where these images will keep on hitting you. And when that happens, that means you are exerting too much. Your mind needs a break at that point in time. You need to give your mind a break. That means the child is crying and you're saying, there you cry, I'm going to beat you, you know. And the child is going to cry even louder. Do what you will. Images will not stop. At that time, you need to relax a bit. So it is far more important to hold crisp sessions of meditation than to sit down like this and just keep sitting. Because I don't want you to become zombies. Trust me, there are so many dead people in this world, we could do away with some living people. It's a state of bliss, you should experience that bliss and pass on that bliss. The goal is not to just be dead. The goal is to be immersed in thought, in bhav, in devotion. So that when you walk away, you know, after you've been in front of a fireplace, your body is all warm. For the first 10 minutes you can stand in, in you know, blizzards and you won't feel cold. So there are no blizzards out there. It's only 15 degrees temperature. So if you take the warmth of meditation, then you will not feel cold out there. And can I just see, by the raise of hand, who actually meditates? How many of you meditate? Please just... just Whatever we do, we'll call it meditation. Yes, yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. No worries. Now, for how long do you meditate? Half an hour? 45 minutes? Two to five minutes. Two to five minutes? You're an exception. So <laughs> 40 minutes. 40 minutes, 45. 
Right. Initially it was small, but now one. There was a man, he had never eaten salt. Once he went into a different country where people did eat salt. So they served him a meal. But they knew he had never eaten a salt, did not put any salt in it. They said, here's some salt. He said, what is it? It's called salt. It enhances the taste of your food. And he said, okay. So he put a little bit because he was afraid. He didn't want too much because he didn't know what it was. He put a little bit. And when he ate, he said, wow, I've never had a meal like this. This is mind-blowing. He said, you know what? I'm not going to have your meal, I'm just going to have the salt. <laughs> Meditation is salt, remember this. <laughs> the, the act of meditation is salt. It's supposed to enhance the taste of life. It's not something you keep eating day and night and say, you know, I'm just going to meditate. There is the path of intense meditation. It's the one I pursued. And it does lead to some miraculous things you can possibly imagine. But if you're meditating for an hour versus just 10 good minutes, I promise you, you will gain much more from doing 10 minutes of quality meditation. Now, I asked, the reason I asked how many of you meditate most of you raise your hands. If you want to know the quality of your meditation, all I ask is something very simple. Um, think of an image. Uh, you're looking at me. Close your eyes and just mentally recall my image. Close your eyes, those who meditate, please. Just mentally recall the image. The image will disappear. Bring it back in front of your eyes. It will disappear and bring it back. Okay, that's enough. So, who could hold on to the image all throughout? So the image, a couple of people could hold on all throughout. But what you will notice, as you progress, the clarity of the image starts to fade. The amount of seconds you could hold on to the image is your current limit to hold on to the concentration of a thought. The number of seconds you could hold on to the image mentally, is it's your current limit of concentration, of holding on to thought. Now, internal visualization is always harder than external visualization. But ultimately, meditation is an inward act. You need to meditate internally. <coughs> and that is why we have these deities, so many gods, so to speak, forms of God, I should say, so that you can meditate better. Anything that strengthens your devotion, that makes you more compassionate, or anything that strengthens your concentration is a good thing, do it. You don't need to ask me or anybody else. You don't need to consult books. You just do it. It will help you. Now, in terms of external sound, the example I quoted earlier, elsewhere, yesterday, I think. If you put on your most favorite song, four minutes long or three minutes long, and try to listen to it, you'll find you're unable to listen to a full song. And that despite of you wanting it. So that is another way to know 
how long is your concentration presently. So if you want to check if you're improving in meditation, in terms of the act of meditating, then this will be a good test. Are you with me? I would like to read out um, Sarah, this other scholar I was talking to you about, a really, really good meditator. Um, he said something beautiful. Once again, he wrote this thing called the Song of Mahamudra. Mahamudra is a phenomenal way of meditation. It is the quintessential science of meditation. But it's not something unexpound here. It's like if all of you were away with me for three, four days, I would have just done Mahamudra and would have taught you real meditation, so to speak. Because, like I was saying yesterday, I don't believe in the concept that you have to meditate till the cows come home before you see the results. If you meditate for 10 minutes, if you eat one chapati, you feel a little bit full. If you eat two, you feel more full. So if you are meditating, you ought to feel full. If you're not feeling full, you're not meditating. Somebody's fooling you around. <laughs> and probably it's your mind. <coughs> so, this uh, is a beautiful, beautiful song of Mahamudra. He's saying a prayer, but in the prayer, he's telling you everything you will encounter while you're doing meditation. It's so beautiful, I can't, you know, just stop appreciating this. Unpolluted by meditation with intellectual effort. Unpolluted by meditation with intellectual effort. You pollute your meditation if you are putting in intellectual effort, because it is the effortless state. So unpolluted by meditation with intellectual effort, Undisturbed by the winds of everyday affairs. So first you pollute it. Because you are thinking, you are out there just, I'm going to meditate, I don't care what. <laughs> and then 30 minutes later, man, my knees are hurting. <laughs> <laughs> Only I wish I could move. Will God be sorry, you know, if I moved? Some people ask me this, you know, if I do this, if I do that, will God be sad, will God be angry? <laughs> I said, do you want a God like this? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> will He be a God? He's the worst quality of human being. <laughs> if He were to get angry, say, oh, you didn't worship me, stay down there on earth. <laughs> Give me a break, I'm happy on earth then. Not manipulating, knowing how to let what is true be itself. Let it sink in. Not manipulating. You are not to manipulate your thoughts, you are not to examine them, you are not to comprehend them, you are not to analyze them. Let them be. You just maintain your focus, because today I am talking about concentrative meditation. I am not talking about contemplative meditation. Not manipulating. Knowing how to let what is true be itself. Let it be. And then he's saying, may I become skilled in the practice of mind and maintain it. It's not the practice of meditation, it's the practice of mind. And equally important is to be able to maintain it, not just do it. If you meditate, you feel good for 10 minutes and you go out there and you are ready to yell and shout and scream. It's just like you did basically nothing. You did not get the effects. It's always the after effects, the aftermath. The second stanza, the waves of subtle and coarse thoughts return to their source. You know, everything returns to its source eventually. Absolutely everything. If you take water and you boil it and you leave it alone, 
what happens after a while? It comes to its normal temperature, the room temperature. If you freeze it, turn it into ice, bring it out, it comes back to its normal temperature. Similarly, thoughts go back to from where they came. They came out of nowhere, they go back to nowhere. They have no intrinsic value. If you don't assign a value to a thought, it has no value. You cannot control your thoughts, please know this. You can control the train of thought though. You can choose not to pursue them. So when you, when a banana came in front of your eyes, you had the choice at that moment to drop the banana, give it to a monkey, or, or keep going. From banana you pursued the whole you know, track. So the waves of subtle and coarse thoughts return to their source. Undisturbed, the river of mind flows naturally. It is discovering a natural state. <coughs> and when you are forcefully inventing, uh, when you are forcefully meditating, at that time, you are inventing a natural state. It, you, you ought not to invent. You have to discover. Gyan vigyan triptatma kutastho vijitindriya. Yuktitya ujjate yogi samloshtasham kanchana. Krishna says to Arjun, when you are fully satisfied, you no longer are interested in special sciences. You are kutastha, you are firmly situated in your own state. And you're even some loshtasham kanchana. Whether you're given gold or you're given dirt, when you remain even, you are a true yogi then. Nahasannast sankalpo yogi bhavati kashchana. The one who says, oh, I'm not going to do anything, that's not a real yogi. So I'm not a real yogi. Okay. Free from the contaminations of dullness and torpor. May I establish the still ocean of shamata. When I am past dullness and be firmly situated in the ocean of shamata, it's a Sanskrit word and it means tranquility. It means that bliss, you're in that tranquil state, like somebody snoring in this group right now. <laughs> um, like I said, it's a good thing, you know. It means uh, it must be very warm atmosphere here. <laughs> when one looks again and again at the mind that cannot be looked at, because how do you look at your own mind? You have to create a certain distance. Only then you can objectively look at something. If I want to look at my own hand and I go, what can I see? I have to have a little bit of distance. So the art of looking at your own mind requires creating a distance from your mind and that is meditation. Because when you're engaged you are in it. You can't see trees from woods at that point in time. But when you step out, step aside, step above, that's when you're able to see clearly. I always say if you think of a wheel with seven colors of the spectrum, and if it's spinning, it's going to look white. You will think that is real. You'll think this is a reality. It's white. But when it comes to a halt, when it stops, that's when you see the seven colors. So your mind is creating the illusion of everything is white, all's good, all's hunky-dory. But when it stops, 
that's when you see the colors. Thank you. Yes, true rainbow, and it's so elusive too. Okay, so I was saying when one looks at, when one looks again and again at the mind that cannot be looked at and sees vividly for what it is the meaning of not seeing. Do you know, one of the fundamental rules of public speaking is you look at everybody but you look at nobody. If you settle your gaze on somebody and that person is sneezing, you'll immediately stop. Correct? So when you learn to not see when you're seeing, you've learned meditation. Because now you're not hooked onto a thought. No thought will come and you are not waiting for the thought to sneeze. That reminded me of something. This man said, you know, I've never heard God speaking, but I heard him sneeze once. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say to him <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Normally we say, God bless you. I said, I, I don't know what to say to God when he sneezes. <laughs> and then doubts about the meaning of is and isn't are resolved. Because it's experiential. You have to experience it. I cannot tell you this. You will conceptualize it then. Without confusion, may my own face know itself. That is meditation. You know yourself then. Umrbar galib yehi bhul karta raha. Umrbar galib yehi bhul karta raha. Dhul chehre par thi aur aina saaf karta raha. You know, dosh swayam me hai. It's all in us and all my life he said I kept making this mistake that I kept cleaning the mirror but the dust was actually on my face, not on the mirror. And that is meditation. You start to see yourself. you start to see your real face without makeup, like the morning sun. <coughs> okay, the last one. Free from mental constructions, it is called the great seal. Maha mudra. Mudra means seal. It's the royal seal. It's eminent, it's present in absolutely everything. Everything has an essence. And the essence is, it's all the same. Even if you look at gold versus dirt, they both come from earth. Free from extremes. It is called the great middle way. Free from extreme. If you have to pursue an extreme path, that means it's unnatural. Agreed? Because nothing natural is extreme. It never is. Because everything is complete here. It is also called the great completion. Everything is complete. Unpolluted by meditation with intellectual effort, undisturbed by the winds of everyday affairs, not manipulating, knowing how to let what is true be itself, may I become skilled in the practice of mind and maintain it. The waves of subtle and coarse thoughts return to their source. Undisturbed, the river of mind flows naturally free from the contaminations of dullness and torpor, may I establish the still ocean of shamatha.
when one looks again and again at the mind that cannot be looked at and sees vividly for what it is the meaning of not seeing doubts about the meaning of is and isn't are resolved without confusion may my own face know itself look at objects and there is no object one sees mind look at mind and there is no mind it is empty of nature look at both of these and dualistic clinging subsides on its own may i know sheer clarity the way mind is free from mental constructions it is called the great seal free from extremes it is called the great middle way because everything is complete here <coughs> it is also called the great completion if you gain strength from worshiping from meditating if you feel good then it's good but if you're not getting the results then let me tell you you're not doing it right and i'm not saying there is a specific right or wrong way by the way not in devotion it isn't but if you're looking upon meditation as a, a field of science with some cause and effect relationship to it then there's a clear cut path you adopt it and it will give you the same results that is what meditation is <coughs>